Before we get to the show, I want to make sure you know about our podcast, Making Marketing. It's a show where Shireen Patak talks to the biggest names in the marketing world about the decisions they make in the business every day. Check it out. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor.fm. Or you can go to digiday.com and learn more. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal, and in today's session from the Digiday Retail Forum, Hilary Milley speaks to Emma Gred, CEO of Good American. Shoppers are increasingly demanding transparency in all dimensions of their buying experience. From supply chains to the customer service experience, learn about how Good American is building trust with their customers. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you are approaching your customer in a way that they kind of know where the brand is headed right now. So Good American is a new brand. Yeah, Good Good American is a really new brand. And for those of you that aren't familiar, um, we are a clothing brand. And I launched the brand about uh, nearly two years ago now with my business partner, Chloe Kardashian. And uh, it's a clothing brand that essentially is all about inspiring confidence in women. What we do is allow women to make the absolute best of the body that they've got. And we do that by making really beautifully fitted clothes in a very, very wide size range. Um, But super importantly, without ever sacrificing style for the sake of inclusivity. And I think that's a big difference in what we do. Um, The brand actually came around because um, I felt like fashion had really not caught up with what the, or, or rather the body ideal that we were seeing in popular culture. I spent the first 10 years of my career at the intersection of kind of fashion and entertainment doing lots of commercial uh, commercial partnerships between brands and talent. Um, and what I saw was, you know, the same silhouette, the same woman, whether it's on the catwalk, the cover of a magazine, and it's very, very different from what we were seeing in perhaps the music scene. So I knew that if you look at the average size of a woman in this country, I think 67% of women go above a size 16. And so, you know, and they're very, very poorly catered for. You have to go up to floor five in a department store and scurry around this tiny little kind of horrible department. Mm-hmm. So essentially what I decided to do is to create a brand and put everything together. And we're an extremely principled brand. The way we do business is that we'll only ever work with partners that will stock the entire size range. So we go zero, zero to a size 26. And if you want a wholesale good American, you have to buy the entire size range, 15 sizes, but put it all in one place. That's one of the things that we say. We're very, very big on diversity. And I think a lot of brands try to do that, but we do it in a much more easy, authentic way. If you come into any touch point for Good American, whether it be the site or it be our campaigns, it's always going to look like you've kind of scooped up 20 women from the streets of New York. And that's what we intended and how it should be, because it's my version of what is beautiful and what really, you know, I think most brands should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was really making sure that we have a constant dialogue with our customers, because I kind of thought to myself, history's bound to repeat itself again if you're not listening. So we really needed to figure out a mechanic and a way to constantly speak to our customer, but then for that to influence what we were actually creating and making. 
And that's been the actual the hardest part. It's all, all very well kind of saying, you know, we're customer first, it's a customer-centric business, but how do you actually get that information and then how do you make it make a difference to the product that you're creating? So they're the three principles that the brand is essentially based on. Um, we had a great launch. It was, you know, we sold a uh, million dollars of product on our first day and I remember thinking to myself, well, I hope Khloe Kardashian's fans like jeans a lot <laughs> and they come and they keep buying. Because yeah, she's um, your co-founder. She is. She's the co-founder. She's my business partner. But I think rather interestingly and what we saw after, you know, I guess continued weeks and months of fantastic sales was that something we were doing was really resonating with the customer and it went beyond Chloe's fan base. So now we find ourselves um, with our own, the majority of our business sits on our own site, which is obviously direct to consumer. We're in 126 Nordstrom, we're building shops with Bloomingdale's and also in Selfridges and Harrods. So it's pretty healthy for a, for a really young business. So you, you mentioned these principles. So yeah. when you're going out there targeting a customer of these really high standards, how do you make sure that you're, you're keeping those, those promises as you try to grow? There's obviously going to be hurdles that you hit, yeah. and sometimes things are going to fall short. Maybe a product doesn't fit as well. What do you do when something goes wrong and you have to communicate that with the customer? Well, first of all, we're really honest. We're lucky that we're, you know, we're a truly social business, so we have a constant, direct, and ongoing uh, dialogue with our customer. We hold huge focus groups, so we'll bring 60 women in the office at a time and hold like fit seminars to so actually get the product onto bodies mm -hmm. because we found that you know having people in the office is so much better than any kind of focus group that you do off with one of these fantastic agencies. Right. It kind of goes a little bit back to what you were just talking about. We outsource very, very little. Mm -hmm. We try to, for a, for a small company, do as much as we possibly can in-house. And then we ask, right? So it's like it seems really uh, a stupid thing, but we're constantly asking questions. We don't make assumptions on behalf of our customer. Mm -hmm. We ask them all the time. And, you know, you guys know what social media is like. People will tell you, and they tell us all the time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And also, you know, that goes for when we're doing things really you know, uh, if we're choosing like a new color hardware for denim, but also, um, you know, we're called Good American. And so when we decided that for reasons of cost, which we think, you know, is a top priority for our customer, that we were going to start making some things overseas, rather than that being something we get called out on, like, hello, your name's Good American. We saw the irony immediately. And we just told people. So we put out a statement, we bought some ad space, we posted it to our Instagram and our Facebook, and we said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. We're going to be honest with you. We're not going to sneak in a little label that's made in Turkey or China. And I think that principally, like, that's what we do with everything. Like, we just get it out there mm -hmm. rather than, you know, it become an issue. And, you know, there was very, very little backlash. You know, most people kind of were like, great, like, thanks for telling us. That's super cool. Like, how much cheaper? Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that's how we deal with anything like that. Mm -hmm. truly get yeah, it. just get ahead of it. Yeah, and so when you're looking at how to scale, you're doing most things in-house, why, why did you make that decision? Why do you think it, it was best for the brand to have the hands-on on things that you know, might have been easier to outsource? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're a, you know, we're a tiny company. I'm 35 people, mm -hmm. um, and of course, we have to outsource production. We don't own the factories or anything like that, but it really is, it's about that control piece. You know, we are a brand that thrives off of people telling us what they want and us seeing gaps in the market, and we have an exceptional denim product, um, but at the end of the day, you know, we need to have, we need to be doing those things ourselves, and mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, that's the only way we can control things. We think about controlling marketing, controlling storytelling, but for us, it's all about, you know, we can't really let 
much go to agencies because we need to be in charge of it. And we also need to learn, right? We need to understand, I can't have an agency testing advertising for us because we need to understand, like, well, what is it? What is the customer responding to? Right. So how do you manage costs as you grow then if you're doing all of this? <laughs> we yeah, we sure just do. Money. Well, we're lucky, we, you know, we're <laughs> lucky that we're one of the, you know, few startups, I guess, you know, in the tech space, it's, you know, profits are not really something anyone thinks about. This is actually mm -hmm. my third business and it definitely was something that I thought about. Mm -hmm. So we were profitable in the first year and mm -hmm. we've sold, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pairs of jeans. So for us, we've been lucky enough that we've been able to scale and sell mm -hmm. and to keep the improvements with the business up with that. But, you know, I'm sure I'll be sitting here in six months, a year, raising funds and, and the rest of it. So. so you've raised no money so far? No, no. I, I, the original money that I raised, so I raised $3 million to start the business mm -hmm. um, and that's that. So what is your biggest cost right now then? What's, what's taking up most of your resources? Um, it, I guess resource, so just staff, that's mm -hmm. the biggest cost. Right, because I'm sure Actually, you're hiring. Staff. Yeah, we're hiring yeah, like people. crazy. Yeah. Feels like somebody new comes in the office every week, but you know, we mm -hmm. make 97% of what we make here in America, and that's super expensive. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of that is that I can you know, drive for a couple of hours to downtown LA, and we're there, and we're part of that product process. And then you can really start to understand like, how you can improve the product. Mm -hmm. you know? So when you're talking about customer relationships and sort of taking the customer along, tell us a bit more about, you mentioned focus groups, where else are customers coming into play in data points when you're making design decisions? merchandising decisions and, and basically what, what's next for the company? So there's a couple of places. Social is huge for us. Mm -hmm. Like So we get a lot, both through Chloe, who has, I think, over 136 million followers across her social platform. So she gets a lot directly. Yeah. Um, we also get a ton, but we ask a lot of questions, right? Mm -hmm. We're literally going out saying, what do you want to see next? We recently launched um, Performance Activewear, and that was directly because customers were just asking for us. They were like, we love your denim. We love the silhouette, high waist is what we're all about, but we're wearing leggings every day. And mm. so that came directly from customers wanting and needing that. We look at, you know, the search volumes. We can see everybody's searching for swimwear. So, mm. you know, that might be something that we do in the future. So we look a lot at social. Of course, you know, we sit and we're like in the comments, we're in the reviews. Um, but talking of wholesale and the value of a retail partner, Nordstrom have been hugely valuable for us. The deal that we set up or that I set up in the beginning was very much about the sharing of that data and that information and that's been invaluable when we've been thinking about new styles new cuts where to expand what we're doing um, and, and we're lucky enough that we have a partner that's so furiously obsessed with customer service like we are that mm -hmm. they are happy to share that information so that's been hugely beneficial for a young company right I, I think the reason that direct-to-consumer brands have shifted away from wholesale is because of a lack of control and a lack of insight into yes. what their customer is doing so Tell us a bit more about what you told Nordstrom you wanted. Besides, obviously, it was you have to buy the entire line. Yes. What else did you? Well, we were we in? were really strict. You know, we we were. We dictated the terms right from the beginning. Of course, we were in a very fortunate position. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our business partners really famous and so you know sometimes you can leverage stuff that you might not be able to to ordinarily sure. um, but of course you know we have a really superior denim product and they wanted that product but at the end of the day you know they 
they didn't have any way of creating that themselves. It's very, very complex. Mm -hmm. um, and they know that they have the customer, and I think that's a really important part. Nordstrom understood that there was a huge gap for this and have credited Good American with changing their entire retail strategy. Mm -hmm. They went out to every single brand that they stock and asked them to do extended sizing, and I think three brands took them up mm -hmm. of the whole lot. So for me, it was really about dictating those terms from the start. We don't do discounts. We're not in the sale cadence, mm -hmm. and that's just that, right? that we, we won't get involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, there's lots that we do bring. We're a very, very sophisticated marketing machine for a tiny little company. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot that we are able to add to them and their kind of, you know, whatever they're doing that they don't have. Yeah. So how do you take the people who may have interacted the brand first through Chloe or Nordstrom and then make them good American customers that you don't have to buy again? Well, you know, the interesting thing at the moment is that we, I think we employed... Um, I'm just trying to think when anybody came on board in that position. So maybe six months ago, we mm -hmm. had somebody actually come on board and take care of our uh, like marketing, like paid for. Up until then, mm -hmm. we had one person, a director of e-com, and there was absolutely nothing else happening there. So we've just been in an, uh, a really fortunate position that customers have just come to us. You know, mm -hmm. we really have not gone out of our way to you know have to buy customers, to have to you know attract people to the brand. It's like there's been an enormous amount of buzz. And, you know, yes, we have a superior product, but there's no one else doing what we do. Mm -hmm. And so if you walk into the store and you're a size 16 and you want to buy premium denim and you don't want to buy a pair of jeans for $30, there's no choice. Right. It's just us. And so, well, so well it's still a competitive space for, for new denim brands and, and, yeah. and, you know, brands that are putting a lot of money behind marketing. And so as you're sort of coming off that first phase of growth driven by the buzz of the launch, are you, do you feel like you're putting things in place to, to boost it and get it out there to more people? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've, we've definitely started to do that. You know, our performance marketing for us is, you know, it's trial and error all the time. We do lots and lots of different things mm -hmm. and we are very, very content driven. So we are creating new content and testing new content on a daily basis. It mm -hmm. could be, you know, a, as big as the, you know, the film that we did for our big perfor uh, performance launch or it can just be shooting against a wall in the office. And we think everything is a content moment. So we'll be sitting there choosing buttons and we might decide that we turn that into an ad mm -hmm. um, and we don't say no to anything you know it's like we've looked at TV we looked at direct mail we're in social we're in display so you know for us it's really all in the mix and all about testing because we're so young we just have to constantly do that mm -hmm. what's working best in terms of a content channel as well as just like the type like people want videos for, like that type of thing. for us it's, it's well it's videos in Instagram like mm -hmm. that's what works absolutely best if we're talking about like just pure driving traffic to the site there's nothing like you know a nice video of somebody fabulous talking about the product but you know video works incredibly well right well so is it high because video can be expensive and it can no take it's like it? a girl in a selfie going like woo you know it's like that it's yeah. the, the when I, I mean we are basic down at good american it's it's my assistant like in my office like uh -huh. going like this you know mm -hmm. no it's a, and and it's really funny because anytime we've tried to do stuff so when i am um, uh igtv launched mm -hmm. we were one of the brands that we launched that they launched with and we were like yeah let's you know let's make this great let's go down to the studios and you know let's make it all fabulous and then we were like no because that's not what our customer wants she just wants to see a bunch of girls in a corner trying on jeans 
and telling you what their butt looks like. Mm -hmm. It's really, really, honestly, like so, so basic, yeah. which is great because it's so, so cheap. Mm -hmm. But again, it's about that authenticity piece, right? Do, they, do you believe what I'm telling you? We're not glossy, we're not shiny, it's not like that. It's like the real deal. Mm -hmm. And again, that is, comes back to that honesty piece because when stuff doesn't work, yeah. we equally show it. So it's right. not all, you know, wonderful and you know coca-cola it's it's really like the good the bad and the ugly mm -hmm. and i think that we're quite honest about showing that right when we get something wrong. but to go back to your point about hiring more in-house doing more things in-house you have that control but as you're growing how has that influenced your hiring decisions because i can imagine the further the team you hire gets away from your end customer it won't be as simple as just being like oh it's it's not that hard just make content that like girls of this age want to see People have no idea what that is when you get to, you know, older men, that type of thing. Like that, you see that happening with big corporations. They have people at the top that are out of touch with who their customer is. Yeah. How do you think about that as you grow and hire? Well, you know, it's really interesting. I think it's it, it's all top down, right? It's, I'm the founder. I'm the CEO of the company, mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's about culture. I think what's interesting about Good American is you come into the office. And it looks exactly as I imagined it. It's girls, it's not like a typical, you know, I've worked in fashion for a long time. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of, you know, one type of woman, one type of body type. And the culture of Good American is that people want to be there. They believe deeply in what we're doing. And so right. you, by default, attract the type of people that are coming from the right mindset straight away. Mm -hmm. um, to your point earlier, talent, we're in LA. It's definitely tough, I would mm -hmm. say. You know, when we've been looking for uh, both design talent, digital-based talent, it's it's really, really hard. But luckily, we're very, very, um, you know, we're one of those brands that people want to work with right now. Right. And so we are attracting the right kind of talent. But I think ultimately it all comes from culture and that idea of how things are done at the very top of a company. I spent my last 10 years running an agency mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how good my strategy was, if I go into a brand who culturally don't understand social media, for example, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to happen. They're not going to put the budget behind it. We just operate very differently. And I guess yeah. that comes from me. Yeah. It's top down, right? <laughs> right. So for what would, advice would you have for, for larger brands, older brands that are try, aiming for this you know, nonchalant, it's easy, social media, just get the customer excited, <laughs> you know, like well, it's how, what, how be do they in, do it? It's got to be in the lifeblood of the business, right? I uh -huh. guess what Good American does isn't easy to replicate because, you know, we have a drop day every Thursday and every Thursday a bunch of girls try on the stuff and we mm -hmm. tell you how to style it. Like, mm -hmm. you're either in that space or you're not. And mm -hmm. I think it feels very strange when you see a brand mm -hmm. who are trying to behave like that and it and, and they're not there i think you know my advice and certainly when i was a was a, a on the agency side of things is really you know you have to do things that feel true and authentic to your brand and you mm -hmm. can shape those strategies for social media but don't try to be something that you're not i mean we all just went, you know, we had a gap between the last little thing that I did and we walked into Tiffany and Tiffany's had a recent, I really hope there's no one from Tiffany here, but who knows, maybe there is. Uh, maybe they'll switch the music off sure. because you kind of walk in and the music <laughs> is like booming and it just feels like so wrong because you're like, it's Tiffany. Like you don't need to do that. There's these weird graphics and a photo booth and they're giving out donuts and you're like, that's not what you want. It just feels very, it feels very odd. And so I think you've just got to keep it real, right. like real for your brand. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're going for the younger customer, just don't try too even, hard. Even if you're going for the younger customer, you know, I still think, you know, your brand is what it is. You know, right. you can't, you can't shift a, and change a, uh -huh. it too much. Interesting. 
Well, on that note, does anyone have any questions for Emma? Brand, yeah, we got one right in the front. I'll ask a question. <laughs> I'd like to give people a few minutes. Hey, um, I was wondering what part of your team is dedicated to performance marketing? So like, you know, that analytical piece and how much of a role do they play now and do you see them playing more of a role in the future? Absolutely. So at the moment, it's literally one person and then we have a couple of agencies um, that uh, work on that side of things too. Um, yes, definitely see it playing more of a role in the future, like 100%. It really is at the moment just one person who's been in the business for about six months. Um, we employ, like, we have like a data analytics or a BI tool that we use, um, but that's kind of merged together with the more kind of traditional merchandising and planning piece that you would have in a more uh, fashion orientated business. So it kind of pulls that information together and gives us, you know, that, that side from the, a collection basis, but also from the, you know, the site visitor space. Awesome. And um, when Chloe walks into the room for her, like, business meeting, what KPIs are you guys talking to that she's interested in? Well, I mean... Chloe is involved very, very specifically in design and marketing. So she's definitely not sitting there in our meetings talking about, you know, logistics and looking at site traffic and understanding how much we're spending in the different <laughs> areas. Like, again, we're very honest about that. <laughs> it's like, it's not her area of expertise, but what she is really good at is understanding her audience. She's spent the last 15 years talking directly to her customer and to her consumer. So she knows exactly what's going to work on, you know, for her fan base, essentially, which is our, a big part of our customer base. So she works predominantly on, you know, look and feel of the collections, and then she works in marketing, specifically social and digital. And then she plays a huge part. We have a group of women that we call the Good Squad, so they're all the girls that are involved in our brands, from minor roles in fit testing to front of the campaign. And she's involved very, very much with those girls, cajoling them, choosing them, casting them, getting them in the campaign, and then choosing what they do. And that's really the role that she plays in the company. Great. Hello. And last one back here. Hi. So as a brand with a great story um, that's really conquered this category of denim, how do you think about maybe capitalizing on that and becoming a full like lifestyle brand? So I know you talked about um, the active war, but how do you think about other categories or expansion elsewhere? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, what we do in that larger size range is so technically difficult. We actually tried to launch um, Active Wear about six or seven months ago, and it just wasn't good enough. It wasn't up to the same standard as the denim. So I definitely never say never, um, but anything that we choose to do, you know, our brand is all about a fit and a fabrication. And unless we can get that absolutely right in other categories, we just, we just won't do it. And again, it's really difficult. Again, it comes down to resourcing. It's really easy to find technical um, uh, designers, uh, pattern makers that do regular sizes, but once you get into what's traditionally been called plus, the talent's really thin on the ground. And I'll, you know, I'm pretty clued up in the fashion business and I'll call up and try to get names and I'll get like two people. You know, it's really crazy. So you're literally poaching people out of jobs. And also we're at the premium end. So, you know, there's not, there's hardly any plus size in premium. So it really is about finding the, the, the expertise and then figuring out how we can do it. And it's a lot slower than I would like. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, Emma. Thank I really you. enjoyed it. Thank you very much. 
That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week with another episode.